Hello and welcome to Noontime Thursday webinar uh, in our very special series uh, where we are going to be talking to founders of iconic South African companies and bringing a few of their friends along the road. Uh, and today, as you can see from the screen, uh, Adrian Gore and Barry Schwarzberg, the founders of Discovery. Gents, we're going to be uh, talking quite a lot in the next hour. The format, though, that uh, the the way it works is uh, that we invite questions from the business community. Uh, I'll pick those questions up and then pose them to you. I'll get a few of my own questions in as well. But before we begin, our general manager, Stuart Lohman, is uh, looking after all the controls and making sure that the tech is right, Stuart. Excellent. Thanks, Alec, and welcome, Adrian and Barry. Uh, just to those new to the webinar, there should be a little high five option on your control panel. If you can see Alec, Adrian and Barry and hear my voice, can you give us a high five? Just make sure that it's coming through loud and clear. I just need a few high fives. There we go. They're starting to... Got it. That's, that all looks good. Thanks for that. We've got some coming through. Um, as Alec mentioned, it is quite conversational. Um, there's a little questions option on that control panel as well. If you can put your questions there, Alec can go through them and pass them on to Barry and Adrian as he sees. But that's all good from our side, Alec. Yeah, plenty of high fives coming through. And uh, as Stu mentioned there, please do try and get those questions in fairly early. Uh, the more, the earlier you are, the more the chances that we can get those questions answered. Well, gents, uh, thanks for for joining us today. It's It's been quite a ride uh, with Discovery. Um, I've spoken to some of your early investors. Uh, Larry Dippenau, uh speaks, as always, very highly of you. But Let's go back a little before those 28 years ago when you started Discovery. How did the two of you guys meet? Barry, um, do you want to start Alec, for a change? Barry, you want to talk? Okay, so uh, what actually happened was uh, uh, we were both at Vits and we had a common friend, uh, very good guy, Sol Schwartz, who was friendly with Adrian and uh, he didn't do so well in second year, if I remember correctly, and he had to repeat certain subjects. And I was going into second year. And Sol and I struck up a relationship and became very, very friendly at Varsity. And then Sol introduced me to his friend, who was Adrian. And that's that's how we met. We were good Varsity buddies through a common friend, through, through Sol. And did you go through the – were you always friends? In other words, did you go through when you met your – future wives, the dating processes together, that kind of thing. Adrian? Alec, it was actually, I mean, just to give a bit of context, I mean, actuarial uh, fraternity was so small in our day that, you know, so there were a few of us in each of the classes, so it was quite a tight group, but uh, I mean, Barry, Barry and I struck up a good friendship, and we, um, Barry was a Liberty bursary student, and through that process, that's how we got closer and closer, I think, but I, I think Barry, in those days, we did have a, we were always kind of house friends, but we came from very different, Barry was from Krugerstorp, I was from Joburg, so, you know, there was, there was, um, you know, there wasn't a common background, but uh, we, we struck up, uh, I think, uh, you know, the, the wives knew each other, there was a, a very tight fraternity that we, we kind of hung out in, and uh, we had a, it just struck up a, an immediate kind of commonality of values and of outlook and I think of ambition. So it was a, it was a, it was a, it's always been a great friendship. So Barry was an actuarial bursary student from Liberty, so we understand how he landed up there. How did you get there? Well, actually through Barry, I was a, I was a Fed Life bursary student, ironically, and um, 
after one after Barry and I met, Barry actually said to me, "You should try come to Liberty." And uh, you know, through him, and I, I try to remember who else, but basically through him, Liberty brought my bursary out of dead life, and I then came to Liberty. Uh, and Barry and I then worked together. Really joined at the hip initially at Liberty, you know, in the same new product development area, and uh, we kind of really always complemented each other. I think in quite unique ways, um, and that's really to an extent how they've got going. So. Uh, very common background academically, I think. And as far as uh, the academics are concerned, were you who was the who was the one who got the better marks at Wits? Well, Aiden Aiden was a, a year older than me, so he was slightly ahead of me. Um, so we never actually competed academically, although we did collaborate in our in later years when we were studying for our final lecture exams. We worked in a you know we had a grouping together. And that's actually how we started this whole thing because we were studying in our final exams in the study group. And, you know, that's how we started talking about, you know, building up a business and doing other, other things and, and, and working at Liberty Life. And the other guys, the other actuarial students, because it's, it's not something one hears from time to time that CAs become uh, business entrepreneurs, but actuaries have got a different uh, well, they, they seem to fit in a different box as far as uh, as most of society is concerned. Did you have others who were entrepreneurial as well? You know, I mean, I mean, my view is I think that you you write kind of uh, academics, and it is a different uh, it is a different approach. But ironically, I think in South Africa, the the, the I think the prospects of the actuarial profession uh, mean that I think different kinds of people are attracted to it here than in other countries. So you do get a lot of entrepreneurial people, but I think. I mean, Barry, I don't know your view, but I think Liberty, and I hope Discovery does it, Liberty in, in, at that time was a very entrepreneurial kind of institutional business. And I think it's, it was very, very inspiring about giving a sense that anything could be achieved. And I think the, some of the commonality of our wanting to do something together with, with, I think, a very, very nurturing entrepreneurial background environment created that sense of, you know, things could be achieved beyond, you know, just, you know, through the kind of the, the normal beaten path. So I'm not sure if it's the actuarial uh, pr- profession, so to speak. I think the whole context at the time was right for that kind of thinking. Did it live up to your expectations when you arrived at Liberty, given that when you took the idea of discovery to them, uh, they didn't jump at it? Actually, it's, it's not a, it's, 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 it's often, often had that, um, it's, it's not entirely correct. I mean, I, I kind of, uh, Barry had left, and I kind of pushed on with the health insurance idea at Liberty, which really got traction. And um, I had this idea of building a health insurance uh, company from the ground up. That was the idea. And uh, Liberty actually wanted me to build something within Liberty. They, they, it, it, I never took the idea to them of, of building a company ground up. So to be fair to Liberty, they never turned it down. They were actually quite, they were actually quite um, supportive of doing a whole lot of stuff. I'm not sure they would have turned it down. But my ambition was to build something from the ground up, um, you know, not within an institution. Um, and so they didn't turn it down. I had only, to be fair to Liberty, I had only unbelievable experience. Um, and Barry had left by that stage and we started to talk and collaborate and, you know, and I you know, shared what I wanted to do with Barry and vice versa and we got going. Um, uh, but to be fair to Liberty, it's, it's not correct. They did not turn it down. Barry, what, what were you doing at this point, having left Liberty? So um, I actually went consulting. I went pension fund consulting for for a year, and 
I was always keen on doing something, uh, doing something with Adrian. We had a connection at, at Liberty and, you know, we're, we're friendly. So, you know, when he called me up and said, you know, that, uh, he progressed the idea that we'd been speaking about for, for, for some time before that, that he progressed it and actually there were some, yeah, companies that were interested in investing. I was, I was keen to get on board. You know, Adrian always says that I wasn't that keen, but I was just playing my cards close to my chest. I was always keen to get involved. <laughs> and what was the idea way back then? Well, the idea was, I mean, to, to be fair to Liberty, we, we launched a health insurance product. It got such immediate traction, Alec, with such scale. Um, so the idea was coming out of kind of the American HMO movement in the 80s, you know, um, the idea of could you build a specialist health insurer from the ground up? So health insurance is either a medical scheme, at, in that stage a medical aid scheme, or, or a top-up insurance policy. The idea was building a specialist health insurer like the United Healthcare. Um, and it was right at the time of the fall of apartheid and the massive societal change taking place. So it was, a, I think, a pretty sound idea, but that industry wasn't around. You had sickness funds, you know, like medical schemes, and you had for-profit aggressive insurers. You didn't have the combination of the two. And that was the idea. Um, uh, and that's where, you know, I, I approached RMB, uh, actually just fortuitously, that's a story in and of itself, um, around backing the idea. But that was the concept. Why didn't you approach Liberty? Why RMB? It, 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 was a, it wasn't entrepreneurial. I mean, the idea was to build a company from the ground up. Um, you know, that, that would be entrepreneurial, would be completely different. So it actually wasn't even in my mind that Liberty would back that kind of thing. I had a, I had a friend who was at RMB, Theo Duchen, a young actuarial guy, trained with us, absolutely brilliant guy. He was a trader at RMB, quite amazing, actually, but really a real, done remarkably well. But he, he said to me that, um, RMB has a dormant life insurance license. It's called Magnum National Life that they they took over. You, you might remember that company in, in some kind of distress. They took this asset over, and this was a dormant life insurance license. And therefore, I should approach them, you know, and use that license to make this, you know, to use it as, as kind of the platform for the vision. So that was actually the link. I had very little insight into RMB at all, and I had very little insight into the, into the shareholders and the leaders like Larry and GT and Paul. And to an extent, I think I struck it incredibly lucky, you know, because it wasn't the, the approach to RMB wasn't based on an analysis of RMB and what they may do, you know, coming out of Liberty in those days, which was a, a massive, hugely successful institution. Um, you know, I had this feeling, you know, they are, you know, Liberty really is preeminent, and anything else is a lot smaller. I didn't have the insights, but I, I struck it very, very lucky. I think, ironically, just fortuitously, um, approaching RMB with the idea. So, Alec, I just want to tell you, I just want to tell you a story that mm -hmm. aligns to different things. Magnum had two assets. One was the Storm and Life Insurance license, which Adrian and I started uh, discovery with. The other was a farm just south of the Crocodile River, which Johan Rupert then took over and became Leopard Creek. So, there's a kind of connection between Leopard Creek and discovery through Magnum. So, I just thought I'd throw that in. I can, can I tell you my Magnum story? I'm not sure it's the same Magnum, but was it Martin Summerley? Correct. The, the, the crook. I actually left the Star newspaper because of exposés I was writing about that. Uh, the, the late Harvey Tyson got cold feet and said, no, no, we're not going to run, run anymore. And as a consequence of that, I actually took a job at the Sunday Times. So Magnum is, uh, is uh, Martin Summerley today, wherever he might be. Uh, Quite a I don't think he, 
he never went to jail, did he? No idea. Yeah. Anyway, but uh, he can have a look back and say, well, you see, you see, uh, if I'd been able to continue, it would have been a very different story. Uh, what was the reception like from the guys at, at RMB? How difficult was it to sell the idea to them? It wasn't easy at all. I mean, uh, I, I approached Larry Dippenau, who was then the, the managing director of RMB. And um, I mean, he... Larry's one of the wisest guys I know. He really is. I mean, you know, he was, I'd done a lot of, I was a young guy, I was 26 or so at the time. So, but, you know, I, I approached him with that idea. It was well thought through, I think, intellectually. Like, there was no business plan. There was no numbers. It was a concept. Um, but I think Larry, as you know, is a incredibly, I call him a slow thinker. He thinks things through very carefully. He's not impulsive at all, you know. And he pushed back on a number of things. I think he was quite intrigued by the idea. Um, and I think liked it very much. And said, you know, and he pushed back a number of times. Said, I'm not comfortable with just health. You know, we should maybe do other life. You know, other insurance things. Let's think this thing through and whatever. So he pushed back. Said it was an iterative process. Um, but I have to say, you know, you know, I, I, um, I need to say this. I and mean, I, th- I think the, the, the kind of rigor thinking impressed me from the get go. You know, you, you know, the kind of, the, the, I can't say the depth of thinking about this and very, very carefully. And I think the probing was a very healthy. Process and I remember it well because we got to a point with Liberty where they had this this idea of a group health insurance initiative, as I said, and I felt in bad faith I either was going to do this, you know, or just revert back to Liberty. So there was quite a bit of toing and froing, and there's a lot of probing and a lot of very healthy probing about how it would work. So it wasn't easy at all, but it, it took I think a couple of months, and then essentially I said, "Unless you've got to tell me either you're in or you're not," um, to an extent, um, and then I think Larry and GT and Paul I think had a discussion and. They were in, and that's how it started. So it actually wasn't difficult, but I mean, maybe the point is the I think the rigor of thinking was a taste of I think a lot of learning to come, which is a very good thing for us. You said slow thinking. Uh, not everybody would uh, would take that as a compliment. Are you talking about I mean, the Kahneman I mean, approach of slow thinking? Yeah, I mean that as a deep compliment. Not impulsive is the point. Not taken to not taken to deep thinking, thinking through things very very carefully. Not being not being, uh, you know, not being uh, excited about fluff or nonsense, thinking through things, will this work? What is the real, real profound difference? Does this have a real chance? You know what I'm trying to say to you? Um, and in fact, ironically, as I say, and Barry will remember this, we never, we never had a business plan based on spreadsheets and capital. Right till we actually, I think, um, approached the, register, the regulator about how it would work. So in fact, the thinking that we did collectively was more about, you know, the real macro issue, the values, the the structures, the qualitative issues that would make this different. It wasn't thinking about what's the return on capital, and you know, you know. So, so it's interesting. So, the, so when I say slow think, I mean that in a real, a real compliment, not a impulsive, fly by night thinking. You know, real profound stuff, which I found quite inspiring. One of the best books I read was uh, Thinking uh, Slow, Not Fast, or something along those lines by Daniel Fast Kahneman. Slow. Think, think, uh, Kahneman, Daniel Kahneman. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's the, the context of it. I did talk to Larry Dippenau, and he wanted to send this message to you.
Sorry, Alex, there's no audio coming through. I'm not sure if you've opened the Lowry channel. Must have, must have been profound, Eric. Uh, <laughs> no, man, am I? <laughs> Is the sound not coming through to you guys? No. Not just giving me a shout here. Oh, my word. Well, okay. So the tech has just failed us again. I do apologize. And we had so many uh, um, really good uh, inputs. But you know what I'm going to do on those? I'm actually going to clip them in. Uh, a little bit later in the in the editing process. Basically, what he was saying was that it's been an absolute privilege to work with you guys for 28 years. And uh, I suppose the question is, how did it all end? You mean w with Lowry? Well, with their investment, are they still invested? Oh, they are. I mean, it it actually it actually has never ended. Um, I mean, what happened is they the the original shareholding was they were. The major shareholder with myself and Barry, and then we had actually Hanover Re as a shareholder originally and a, a medical scheme administrator. So they were kind of a strategic investor from the get go. And then when they acquired um, Momentum Life and then they, they reverse listed that and they did the first round deal, um, the shareholding remained and actually grew. Um, but then over time, we convinced them, and I think collectively it would be good to unbundle up to shareholders so that RMI, or in those days, RMBA should be the major shareholder, be the the 25% anchor shareholder, and that, that has stayed to this day through RMI. So the the shareholding has stayed as it is. Um, I think the relationships have stayed largely as they are. Uh, and I personally, you know, often speak to Lowry and always regard him as an incredibly, uh, just incredible sounding board and mentor. So it hasn't ended. Um, it's just it's gone on for decades you know, in reality. Yeah, I mean, I mean, Lowry was our chairman for. 15 years of the business, the first 15 years, and an unbelievable chairman. I mean, he allowed us, gave us the freedom to, you know, to grow the business, uh, to develop the business. So we really looked up to Lowry, and he's really brought a lot of thinking into the business in the way, as Adrian has said, he's, you know, very considered individual. So we were very lucky to have him as our chairman for the first 15 years of the business. I'm going to try it again. Uh, let's just see. Just give me a thumbs up, please, if you can hear it. No.
Are you hearing it? No, no. not at all. Well, nothing. Okay. Well, so much for my for my quick fix on the tech. Uh, right. We got lots of questions starting back, and I think as we're in the early stages of the of the discovery story, um, looking back, what advice would you give your twenty year old self, Barry? So, look. I mean, we started this business fairly young. I mean, I think Adrian and I were around in mid twenties or so when we started the business. Um, I think we were quite bold. I, I think you do need to be bold. I mean, I think we were, we made the right steps going going into this. I mean, I think you know we had we had the right vision. We wanted to build an iconic business with the right values, and you know, do the build the business the right way. And you know, I mean, we worked with so many wonderful people over the years. I think I mean, if I had to go back, the one thing is that I would have been a bit more. Aggressive on shareholding. If it's one thing I would say, you know, to Adrian and, and myself, going back then, you know, I love the business so much, I, I, I'd like to own more of it. If that's the one thing I would have said to myself as a you know, mid 20 year old, a little bit, be a bit bolder on the shareholding. That's the only area I've got. And it's actually not massive regret, but an element of regret. I think I, I wish I owned more of the business. Adrian? Um, I mean, I, th I think, I think my, as, as Barry, I think Barry alludes to, I think we've made very few incorrect steps. Um, and I, so I don't have many regrets. So if I go back, I mean, I guess I would, the advice is I would do this, which I think we did with a deep conviction about a real competitive societal advantage, if we could add real value. And I would do it, uh, with a real quality of shareholders, which I think we had. You know, long-term shareholders that aren't trying to flip the business or whatever. They really are long-term supportive. So I'm trying to, I'm kind of being verbose. I, I think we had a, we had a very good ride, but I think the, the basis of it was values-driven, purpose-driven with great shareholders. Uh, and that would be my advice if I went back to being 20 years old again. Um, you know, I think, I mean, Barry makes a point about, um, shareholding and whatever. I, th I think there's, there's, I mean, I, I, I totally agree with Gary, uh, Barry and I, you know, it'd be great to, to, you know, not have, to have much higher shareholding, etc. But I think one of the, the parts of our story I think is good is we were never greedy on any issue. We've always done what's best for the business, always trying to make sure the quality of shareholders is, is the best, etc. So, and I think it's part of our success. Eric. I think the the kind of uh, the business case, the business prevails. You know, not being self-interested. So I think Barry's right. I mean, obviously at a personal level, that's how, how we feel. But I think I think it, it's been values and purpose-driven. And I, I would say that again. You know, I, I, sorry if I went back again. I think our insight then, Barry, was quite, was quite, I wouldn't call it profound, but I think it was, it was quite fixed and solid that we knew we wanted a values, purpose-driven organization that would be different. And I think that has always been the discovery difference. Question from Dee Harbenkar, uh, is really follows up to that. She says, what do you think is the most important attribute of an ethical leader? I, th I think the most, in my view, Barry, you can comment. I mean, my view, I guess, is leadership, I think, is about purpose and giving people hope. Um, I guess, and I, I guess, it's a go to that question, you should be ethical, but I think that purpose and hope should be authentic. Uh, so, you know, I think that an ethical leader can have frailties and weaknesses and all kinds of vulnerabilities, but I think a great ethical leader is someone who, who takes people towards a purpose that is good for society in an authentic way. Um, and there's no formula to that, but I think that that would be my view. Uh, and something I always put in is, an, is a sense of optimism and hope. That is, 
the role of a leader, a citizen mama, an ethical leader. So, so Alec, uh, I mean, it's a, it's an excellent question. I think it's something that certainly I've, I've prided myself and uh, been part of discoveries uh, since the beginning that I, I really believe we've run the business on an ethical basis. I mean, actually it's, it's, it's due to the leadership of Adrian. I mean, uh, you know, I think a very eth- brought up, you know, come from a, you know, a, bus- a, ho- a home that's ethical and practiced ethical, high ethical standards throughout. I've never once in all the years that I've been working with Adrian for over 30 years had ever questioned his ethics in anything that we've, we've done. In, never, it's never been a question. And I think it's through that leadership that the entire business has been able to, to grow and have that. And that's something I've learned personally from him as well. And it's just, I, you know, I think every business, you know, it shouldn't be just, I mean, I, I spoke earlier about a shareholding and that type of thing, but it shouldn't be about yourself. It should be about building a great business that you're proud of being part of. And I think that's been the, the, the great thing of being part of Discovery for so many years. I've got a, a, a little message here, which I think is going to work. Uh, it's from one of those people who've worked with you almost from the start uh, and who runs your UK operation. Hi, Alec. It's Nebel Kupwitz from London. Uh, many thanks for giving me the opportunity to say a few words about Adrian and Barry. The first time I met them was at their very first launch of, in those days, Momentum Health, where I was quite taken aback by these two young uh, kids who uh, were talking about the future of how to finance healthcare uh, in South Africa. It was only after that presentation and working with them that I realized uh, the uniqueness of what they were trying to bring to an otherwise uh, cottage industry. I guess the rest is history. Uh, from, from my perspective, I was privileged to meet them then and have been very privileged to work with both of them uh, over the last uh, uh, quarter of a, uh, uh, a quarter of a century. What can one say about Adrian as a leader, a visionary, and more importantly, just as a, a great human being? Uh, he brings out the best in people. He has been uh, uh, really a tremendous friend and leader. And Barry, likewise, has also uh, displayed great leadership and great friendship over the period of time. I can only wish um, them all the very, very best. I'm proud to have been associated with them over this last uh, uh, 25 years and look forward to working with them in the future. Many thanks and good luck. It's a lovely, Hi, Alec. It's Nebel Cooper. That's a lovely segue into, into the next big part of your story, which uh, was going to conquer the world. You, you're now known as a multinational uh, and uh, ne- Neville running the UK operations, I guess, is, is a big part of your business today. What, what got you thinking that you could take these ideas of yours global? It's, um, it hasn't been an easy road, Alec. You know, we, we, we had a real breakthrough here um, and just rapid kind of disruptive growth in the, in the, in the mid-90s and late-90s. And uh, in fact, our first four, as you know well, was to try and build a health insurer in the U.S., which, which we shut down, cost us a lot of money. Um, we learned a huge amount in, in that. And in fact, that's become Vitality, 
uh, to a piece that Barry runs and is doing really, really well. But we, we learned a lot in that process. But what really happened was the Prudential in the UK um, uh, were, were desirous of building a health insurer and were looking for a partner to build a forum. They were a life insurer without those skills and really like the emerging kind of what we call a shared value model now, but the vitality incentive structures and behavioral model. And so in that process, we started talking to them and they, they wanted a kind of a 50-50 JV in the UK. And that's how we got to the UK. So originally just building a, a health insurer with approved, which became a life insurer, which we then bought out. And that's how we got there. It, it was a pretty formative part of our evolution. Um, and it's it, uh, today is, is very, very material, I think, to the group and to our future. I think uh, Neville has done an unbelievable job of, uh, of really leading us and pulling it together. So it's a... It's an amazing foundation, I think, uh, that we'll, we'll pivot on going forward. And Barry, from there, from the UK operation, and anyone who's been in the UK will know that vitality is everywhere. You don't have to watch football just to be sure of that. But uh, you've branched out elsewhere in the world as well. Yeah, that's right. Uh, Alec, we now, in, uh, besides the UK and South Korea, in 22 countries around the world. I mean, it's a model that I think works pretty much anywhere, wherever there's, you know, an insurance market, people, you know, want to get you know, healthier and into their health and want to engage in a healthcare system or a wellness type plan and, and there's insurance products, I think it can work. And actually, to a large extent, people approached us, you know, we didn't go out there initially marketing this thing and, and that type of thing. To a large extent, we were approached by large organizations around the world. We've had great success in South Africa, which demonstrated that it worked in the UK as well, in a developed market. So to a large extent, you know, that's how it started developing. Companies were interested, you know, how are we doing this model? What did you do with it? How did you, you know, create the products and get the clients involved and engaged and that type of thing? And so... It really developed from that, you know. So we said, well, how do we, how do we then offer our service to them? How do we assist them? And that's how we started getting involved, you know, and broader, broader around the world. And it's really become a, a great business today, you know. We're rolling out our, and it's really South African based intellectual property and, and run it to a large extent by South Africans, yeah, in, in, in Johannesburg. And, and, you know, we, we, we compete with the best of the best out there in very competitive markets. I mean, we in the U.S. with, like, you know, assisting large insurance companies in Japan, in China. So it's and it's credit to a, a large number of discovery staff who developed this intellectual property and now exporting it around the world. It's it's, it's been a phenomenal ride and it's and it's actually just the beginning because I think we can you know we can build on this program around the world. When you say it's the beginning, if you were taking a train in the old days from Johannesburg to Durban, how far along the line would you say Discovery is today? Hmm. I think it's. Uh, <laughs> I, I think, Alec, I mean, I think our deep conviction is the, the model, especially in an emerging post COVID world, is so applicable. So, to Barry's point, I mean, we've, we've got a a repeatable model uh, in insurance that just rolls out well across the world. So, I mean, strategically, we—I feel like we're in Heidelberg. We're starting out, but it's—it's it's a complex execution. It's not simple at all. So, you know, it has such unbelievable potential. I think you know our, our partners represent the biggest insurers in the world. Um, so, I think we're at the start of that journey, but we've got to figure out how to scale that a lot better. And uh, that's where we're applying our minds. Um, 
I mean, just to, just to make one point, Alec, about the the uh, interesting you know evolution of how things work on personalities. I mean, the the Prue the Prue partnership was an excellent one, um, and there was a change of leadership at the Prue while we were there, and we were very concerned that a, a new CEO coming in would you know would, may look at this partnership entirely differently. So a new CEO comes in, um, uh, Mark Tucker. They bring him back to the Prue. He, he built Prue Asia. And I had no clue. We were very worried about it. as a new CEO. He might have an entirely different vision that the JV was built on the previous management. And I was quite worried that this would be um, this could be very detrimental to our partnership. You know, just getting going, etc. Only to find that um, you know when I had an appointment to, to to speak to Mark, you know, he made the point immediately. Actually, it's South African roots. His parents were born in South Africa, played football in South Africa, and. Uh, Immediately, we struck up a, an incredibly strong friendship, which uh, has got stronger and stronger, as you know, as our chairman today. Uh, but the issues that Mark then went to AIA, you know, delisted uh, AIA out of AIG, uh, I think it's the largest listing in Hong Kong. Um, and he was very, very desirous of seeing this model work in Asia Pacific. And to an extent, I think the first beta site for us was taking the model into the AIA world. Uh, in Asia Pacific, which is a complex thing to do. And I think the learnings out of that, the learnings about partnership, about repeatability, which I think Barry and his team had done a remarkable job of scaling it across many markets, was uh, how we got the, the kind of model to go. So it, these things are about personalities, about you know deep convictions, about trust, um, often not just strategic decisions. So, so um, you know, I think a pretty fundamental piece in our evolution was that jump and that kind of proof of concept that we developed. Well, Mark Tucker is in Hong Kong, and he had a message for you as well, the chairman of HSBC as well as the chairman of Discovery. Hello, good morning. This is Mark Tucker here. I'm leaving a message for you for your webinar with uh, Adrian and Barry and the Discovery uh, later today. I have known and worked with Adrian and the Discovery team for more than 15 years and was honored to be able to join the Discovery Board last year as chair. Adrian and Barry and their team are immensely impressive. The vision expressed through the shared value business model is a true differentiator within financial services and indeed beyond. We've all been reminded over the past few months of the importance of health and well-being. This is true for Discovery and especially so for Vitality. Focused as it is on making people healthier at the same time as enhancing and protecting their lives. At this uncertain time, when many long-standing trends seem to be accelerating and nobody can be sure of what the new normal will be, a company needs a clear purpose to inspire employees and customers. It needs the willingness and agility to embrace technological change and the leadership to set a clear direction. Discovery are very fortunate to have Adrian and Barry to supply all of these, and I know the company will continue to flourish and grow under their guidance. Thank you. He looks like a tough customer from the picture. Yeah. Yeah, he, he, we, you know, we worked with some really remarkable people, and I was talking about Lowry earlier. Mark is a unique character. He really is. I mean, he, he is, as you say, he's, he's actually not a tough customer. He's a guy who, who values people and relationships and trust more than anything, I think. But he is a, you know, he built Pru Asia from the ground up. I mean, he, he spent 10 years, 300 days a year on the plane. 
you know, he, he has got a, a level of drive and determination that's quite remarkable. So he he is he is tough in terms of determination, very probing, very challenging, but remarkably, I think, caring. Uh, and to an extent, I think, to Barry's earlier point about honesty and integrity and values, you know, he's been a, a, a hugely, uh, how can I say, complementary piece of, of, of discovery of chairing it. And bringing, I think, a global, I think South African companies often don't globalize well. We are we're trying, I think, doing pretty well. We've got a long way to go, but I think Mark brings a considerable dimension of, of, of understanding globalizing and scaling uh, that is very, very helpful. Very, very interesting and fabulous guy. For those who yeah, know the to, international... Sorry, Barry? No, I was just saying, just to add to that, I mean, working with AIA and with Mark there, AIA is... I mean, it started out in 2008 through the split of AIG, and they formed AIA. In Southeast Asia, it is a phenomenal. I mean, these businesses—if you go into them and see what they're about—they are, you know, iconic. They are phenomenal. I mean, they are in like 17, 18 countries in Southeast Asia. The way they run with agency forces, and it was, you know, it was born out of a split out of, and I suppose a failure of ARG. But today, AIA is just, you know, such a, a great business and a great partner of ours. And, and they—they've also changed their kind of branding over time. It's now called the branding is around healthier, better, longer lives. And, you know, it's something that we identify with and we've, uh, to, to, to a certain extent, helped assisted them in building that kind of branding. So it's been in a great association with AIA. And I think it's also due to Mark and Mark's relationship with us. So it's, it's, I think it's been excellent. And, and I was going to say that a lot of South Africans don't kind of get uh, how small we are in a global context and how big a bank like HSBC is in a global context. I haven't looked at its market cap recently, but it's almost certainly bigger than South Africa's GDP, for instance. So how do you get a guy like this uh, who's got such a huge job as chairing that big organization to come and chair yours as well, given that, you know, we're important here in South Africa, but not that important, one would think. You know, I'd like to say, and I mean, uh, credit to our team, I think, I think the difference we've made to these companies is pretty profound. You know, the, the vitality model, it's been clear, whoever we work with, it's at the C-suite level. You know, it's not a, we're not a supplier, it's it's a fundamental business model change of taking insurance and creating this the shared value structure through incentive, vitality, etc. And so the relationships and the, the um, how can I say, the impetus and the, the, the everything about it is, is top down. And so I think Mark shares our vision that this has the ability to transform financial services. So while we're a, we're a relatively, by global standards, small organization, I, I hope that Mark's attraction to us is the ability to really change things globally. And I, I think to various points, I think if you look at the companies we, we, are, we are dealing with, from AIA to John Hancock in the U.S., we've had a profound impact on them. Uh, I think fairly dramatic impact on them, and I think they'd concede and agree with um, I think Mark shares our vision that we can really transform financial services from very much a transactional business into one that really affects people in a positive way. So, uh, you know, I think he shares our passion uh, for it. And these are early days. I mean, Mark's been chairman for a year um, and a pretty active chairman. Um, and we are hoping collectively to make, you know, make a real, real difference globally. I think the point I'm making is it's quite extraordinary to have this uh, this multinational sitting in Johannesburg, uh, but I guess they probably say the same thing about Warren Buffett sitting in Omaha, which uh, you know, isn't Wall Street or High Street. Do you find living here, and you're both in Joburg, uh, we're talking to you from, from your, your homes here, uh, Barry, do you find living here to be an advantage or a disadvantage, given that 
financial services companies seem to be clustered in New York, Shanghai, Hong Kong, or London? Look, from a international perspective, it's fantastic. First of all, you know, we've got uh, great people. I think South Africans are quite entrepreneurial generally. They use their initiative, great skills, skill set here in, in Johannesburg. You get unbelievable individuals. Also, more lately, there's a, there's a, you know, there's a differentiation between earning dollars and spending rands. If you're able to actually get that right, you know, with the kind of skills you can get here in South Africa, I think that le- kind of leverage is, if you can exploit that, I mean, I think there's significant value in that. And, you know, I think there are a lot of opportunities for South African businesses to, to, to offer services around the world with a, a, a rand expense base and, and dollar earnings. But it's for us, you know, it's also the home of, of discovery and the heartbeat of where the, the uh, uh, you know, all the intellectual property was developed. So you want to be close to that. You want to know what's going on. Uh, there's a lot more developments going on in South Africa around, around discovery. So we, you know, it's for us from, to internationalize the business, it's good to be here from a, for a whole range of reasons. Now, Eric, I, I would add, if I can, an uh, issue about people. I think that you know, the Discovery team uh, is a remarkably talented team, I think. Um, and, and I think it's been bought, it really has been, the company has been bought, built on the basis of the quality of the people. But there is something about the complexity of South Africa, the, the diversity, the challenges, the, that creates uh, a group of people, I think, that are incredibly able uh, internationally. They understand diversity, they understand complexity, they understand challenges. And we put them anywhere and they thrive. And, you know, I, I, you know, I take our top guys that we are very careful about people who join Discovery. I think we are, we've attracted the most remarkable, smart people. But I've worked with some of the best technology companies in the world. I, when I go to meetings with them, I take our, our people. I know I have a considerable bias, but I, I think that they're, they're competitive anywhere, frankly. Um, and so, you know, there is a, a geographic difficulty about working out of Johannesburg, especially for, for Barry long-haul flights and you know i do the same it's, it's, the, the distances are difficult but in terms of actual transcending cultures uh competitiveness education levels our ability to compete our team is world-class it is world-class drop them anyway so far from a far from a, a, a difficulty i think it's been one of our advantages and um i think being proudly patriotic um is something that i think is built and helped build our value system yeah, I actually also want to add to that. I think South Africans have got a self-confidence problem. You know, we can, we do compete. We can compete and we do compete internationally. And I mean, as Adrian says, we, we've seen it firsthand. So we just got to get out there with the right kinds of, you know, products and services. But we, 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 I think we've got to lift, you know, be more self-assured. There are quite a lot of questions related to that, and um, the one here that, that Seamus Hennessy asks is, what guidance can you give aspiring South African entrepreneurs, especially in the seemingly challenging environment? So it's almost like a, a perception that we have here that, that we have it tough and nobody else does, uh, but you're, you're, while you ponder that, I have got the text sorted out, as you've heard. However, it hasn't been edited. So I had it so beautifully edited before, but for some reason, Adobe Audition is not talking to us. But here's Larry Dippenau, um, who I know we had a, a couple of minutes of silence earlier. Here's what he had to say. Adrian and Barry, when we backed you in 1992 to establish a new health insurer, as a startup, mind you, we could never imagine that 28 years later, 
Discovery would become a globally recognized player in the health and life insurance space. I recall when you started in 1992, MedSkin dominated the health insurance market with a market share of over 50%. From nothing, you have now become the dominant player by orders of magnitude in the health insurance market in SA. From these humble beginnings, you have entered other spheres of financial services like life insurance, property and casualty insurance, retirement funding, and now banking. Each time you've entered a new area of financial services, you've disrupted the existing players with your innovation. As innovators in financial services, you are preeminent. Your innovation talent has been globally recognized by iconic institutions like Harvard University. You chaps are prepared to take on challenges that most of your competitors find too daunting. I've also witnessed firsthand, and it was a great privilege to see this, how you're able to inspire your people to achieve what to us lesser mortals looks impossible. You really are a formidable world team, and your skills are complementary, very much like Paul, GT, and myself. And I also admire that you have both remained humble and true to your sound values in success. You are both still young, and I mean that relatively speaking, and already you have created a world-class legacy. I also admire the way you have become involved through your public service endeavours in making South Africa a better place. Adrian, Barry, we are proud of our association of 28 years. You have made it an amazing journey for us, and I expect you to deliver a lot more in the future. Lovely message. Yeah. So how do you use that to inspire the next Larry Dippenau, Barry Swartzberg, Adrian Gore, GT Ferreira, Paul Harris, the optimists amongst us? You uh, say, uh, uh, how do you how do you perpetuate that, Alec? Well, how do you inspire others, Adrian? Often you stand up at uh, at conferences and and it makes news because you are looking at the glass half full when all around you are looking at it half empty. How do you retain mm. that enthusiasm and optimism for this country of ours? I mean, Alec, a few I mean a few comments. I mean, I have a Let's have a deep conviction about the country, just the quality of people, and it's a wonderful country that, that we should be celebrating the good things about the country. Uh, secondly, tactically, um, you know, I learned in Building Discovery in 1992 with Barry. It was the most, it was a very, very difficult, I wouldn't say the most, I don't know, but it was a time of change, uncertainty, you know, how the country would play out. Um, Barry will recall, while we were actually building, uh, there were terrible crimes to some of our team and friends and uh, all kinds of stuff that went on, but you know, a, a deep understanding and an experience of when things are difficult, they're big opportunities. People are distracted, um, and so tactically, um, in crises, there's always big, big opportunities that people run away from. Um, and then I kind of have a very deep conviction that seeking positive signals gives you a better sense of reality. People jump to negative conclusions all the time. So mine is not a hope; it's not a naive optimism. Just you know, you know think about good things that will happen. It's more, it's tactical, it's a belief that, that um, you know, you, you get a balanced view by seeking the positive, not just the negative. 
And uh, I think the story of discovery has been we've always tended to do better by building in difficult times. Um, and so, uh, you know, telling that story and, you know, every one of these entrepreneurs you mentioned, I think built during difficult times. I think Oregon and First Round similar in the 80s and 90s and difficult times, big organizations form. So I, th I think it's the right um, in intellectual response. It's not an emotional one, in my view. Sorry, a bit of a verbose response, but I, you know, it's a deep, deep conviction. Yeah, and I'd like to add to that, Alec, uh, that, um, you know, I find a lot of people, you know, don't want to build businesses. It's a lifetime of work. Build a business over many, many years, I think. And all people that work at Discovery are on the same track, that we're building this thing together for the benefit of society, for the benefit of staff, etc. And that's how businesses should be done. It's not about the quick buck and making money, and it's about building a proper business that offers service to clients, that means something to society, that, you know, employs a lot of people, that people want to work for and, you know, aspire to work for, all these kinds of things. For me, that's what it's about. That's what brings enjoyment. You know, making money, okay, it's fantastic. So, but that's not what it's all about for me. And I think there are actually many people out there who want to build businesses, many South Africans. I'm actually... I'm not, I'm not negative. I'm actually positive that there are people, you know, I mean, I see it within discovery. There are many people who want to build a legacy, want to build a business, want to be part of something that is great and doing something positive. So I think, you know, I think we've got to focus on those individuals and do more of it and grow more, more businesses. Tian Zhang uh, asks a really good question. From working for a big corporate to starting one of the most successful businesses, how do you balance full-time work and the idea generation process. My wife wants to hear the answer to this too, please, Adrian. I'm, I'm actually not sure. I mean, I, th I think, look, my role at Discovery has always been uh, kind of conceptual, trying to create the vision, the products, et cetera. And I, again, I think, I think, look, I think there is no, I think building a business to Barry's point is, it is, it is all encompassing. I think the idea of balance is, You've got to understand what you're optimizing against. You're not going to get home at five o'clock, you know, and, and read the newspaper. It, it is an all-encompassing task. Um, but within that, I think that I think that there is discipline required for getting operational stuff right in your own mind and getting vision done. But I, I think in my own experience, Alec, there's kind of a, an amorphous process of all the stuff flows together. You know what I'm trying to say? Going all the way down to the detail and coming back up to the vision, going all the way down. It's not as, in my mind, compartmentalized. And to an extent, I think where we've done well is, I don't know, Barry, if you'd agree with us, but I think complementary skills. You know what I'm saying? You know, I think from the get-go, Barry and I, I think when Barry joined, I think Barry's ability to execute really well and to move quickly, um, Barry's decisive and he moves. I'm, a, I'm more of a, I need to think about it and whatever. So I think, I think there is something about the team that you build that allows you to kind of wax and wane on these issues. You can't do it alone. And so, so I'm not sure I know the answer. I just, in my own experience, it's not as disciplined as maybe you'd like to hear, but it, it is part of a team that waxes and wanes and, you know, division of labor allows you to get that done. But I think also in an organization like ours, um, there's a distinct value of innovation and there's, there's competitions and structures and launch cycles that, that force us to think about things in an innovative way. And that, that, those props, I think, help the discipline. So sorry, again, a long answer, but, but um, I don't think there's, I think it can be achieved is maybe the point. Yeah, maybe I can add to that, uh, Alec, is, uh, 
I think also a lot of people see uh, organizations as this pyramid structure that the person on top knows everything and filters everything down into the pyramid. I don't think organizations should work like that. The way it should work is every individual in the company has got value to add, whoever they are, every single person. And you've got to run companies like that. Everyone is a scarce resource with unbelievable value to add. And you've got to liberate those people everywhere in the organization. And I think that's, I mean, that's what I think Discovery has done well. People feel liberated. They can come with their own ideas, with their own personality into the organization. There is a set of values, and that as long as you operate within those values, I think you can be liberated. And I think we've, we've tried it. And so it's creating that enabling environment where people feel it's safe to innovate, to come to work with their ideas, with their personality, and put their ideas under the table and say, well, what is the best business case? And the best business case should win at the end of the day, not the personality should win at the end of the day. I've got to just uh, pass this on from Anonymous, but actually it's Jeanette. She said, uh, Adrian, would you thank Lauren for the socks? Years ago, she gave me a pair of socks on our flight back from divorce for my uh, sandaled footwear. Uh, clearly part of the ethos and culture. I don't know how she record, and I guess that's it. You know, spotting those little things like that. David Zidel asks, uh, would Discovery look at listing on an offshore stock exchange, and would they look at spinning Vitality off as a separate listing? I mean, it's it's a, it's a question we often asked. It's a it's a good question. I mean, again, I think that the business case will prevail. You know, uh, if we thought there was. At the moment, we don't necessarily see the scarcity of capital and the requirement of capital, so it's it's not something that's really occupying our minds. I think the globalizing of vitality is not a capital issue necessarily. I think it's an issue of of strategy and a strategic shareholders. So if we if we had a shareholder or a, a strategy that would globalize it quicker and better, we'd be open-minded to it. But there's no there's no how can I say to you algorithm that as you get bigger you must go list offshore. I don't see that at all. I think that the business case would prevail, and it's something that Barry and I and the team look at all the time. You know, if we could globalize discovery better or vitality better with specific partners, we would look at that. But at the moment, I think we're quite comfortable with the kind of the pace of the globalization. Uh, something we'll continue to to apply our minds to, um, but it must be based on on the merit. I think. Barry Cecil Schur says, "How do you have the chutzpah to open a bank against RMB, your parent company?" So it was actually, this, the thing started out of, uh, with, in collaboration with First Rand. You know, we started a credit card many years ago in, I don't know, 2004 or so with them. And it became, credit card became very successful. In fact, the, the largest white labeled credit card in South Africa. And, uh, so that was the genesis of the bank using that to say, well, can we add more services? And also within our model, you know, that we want to incentivize better behavior. So it's, I think it's about offering alternative uh, products, I think, uh, and more digital products. And I think the guys actually in the bank have done a, a superb job. The, the products are excellent, and I think it's got a great future. And it's an alternative. I mean, you know, we like to compete with the bigger banks and, and offer an alternative to people out there. Uh, Alec, can I Jordan. After you, after you, sorry. No, I'm, I'm listening. Adrian? No, I said we've always taken, we've never, we've never been a quiet competitor who emerges. We've always taken a full frontal run into major industries. You know, we did that with life insurance. We are, you know, I hope it's not foolish, but we're not intimidated, I think, by scale or by incumbency. Um, 
we, we have a deep conviction if the product and the if the product meets the needs of the customer, our deep conviction is it will sell, it will disrupt. And that's our view in the banking space. So it, it does it's ruffled feathers, it's created I think quite a competitive force. But um, I think we're pretty resolved about what we need to do. Um, and as Barry said, I think we're pretty happy with the progress. A lot to do, a lot to do, but a lot of really good thinking that you'll see flow out of it. Christopher Jordan says, since 1994, I've been very a very satisfied member. So he's early in. He was there what, when you were two years old. However, it's great to hear that the two gentlemen speak about honesty, integrity, values, etc. How do you communicate those values to your employees that deal with members? How do you actually get get that down to where the tacky hits the top? I mean, I, I think to Barry's point, first I think that, that leadership uh, and making sure that the leadership core is true to the values is critical. And that's not always, you can't achieve that 100% of the time, but we focus very much on that. Secondly, I think that there's a narrative about values and about honesty in the organization uh, all the time. It's, it's, you know, we test, I had a discussion with one of our key executives earlier who on an issue, he felt I wasn't actually living the values. So his challenge to me is you've got to think about this in the context of our values. So that narrative is, I think, alive in the organization. And I think, I think you've got to talk about it to the front line. I had a chat to some of our bank our service people about values and how we share different thoughts about stuff and the interpretations of the values and about honesty and how that plays out. So I think there are, it's got to be stated, written down, but it's got to be alive and part of the narrative in the organization. And I think realistically, you're not going to get it right 100% of the time and there are no guarantees, but I think a relentless, humble pursuit of just keeping those values alive, uh, keep people true to them. And, you know, they sound cynical, Alec, in my view is, even if people don't, don't know the detail of the values, but know there are values, it brings out the best in them. So, so to an extent, I think the narrative and the authenticity of them is fundamental to keeping the business true to its, its purpose. And on the front line, people trans, transmitting that to clients every time they touch the organization, they feel a kind of magic. I think it's so crucial. Related question from Simon Wolf. What does Discovery look for when interviewing a potential employee? We actually have an equation, you know, that, that, that uh, EQ should equal, should exceed IQ. You know, that, that we have a number of those kind of measures of what we look for very carefully in people. But I do think we hire and pursue the smartest people, but we look very carefully about EQ, about values. And in our promotional process, we look at those kinds of things very, very carefully. And, uh, you know, again, we're not true to every one of them all the time. There is slippage. Um, but generally, I think we do get it right. And there's a, there's a kind of a, a sense of people joining an organization that has a purpose. And I think that's fundamental. I think we attract people who feel uh, the organization has a purpose, not just to make money and to build market capitalization. There's something deeper in it. But we are meticulous about recruiting people. It's something our exco and Barry will I'll concur with us. It's been in our, it's in our exco every couple of weeks, the same issue, checking the recruiting process. Are we doing it right? It's a fundamental issue. So it's something I left out when you asked about going back to 20, something I've learned, just the power of people. If you're smart, good people around you, you will succeed. They'll somehow bring you up again, you know, and we keep relearning that lesson. Barry, are you going to concur with EQ greater than IQ? It must be pretty tough when you're hiring actuaries and, uh, and scientists and, and doctors. They're not known for, for, for that uh, part of the equation. Yeah, look, I mean, I mean, Aion is right. You know, the area I work in at the moment is, you know, international business. So there are skills that you need specifically for, I suppose, every different part of the business. 
I mean, I like people that are curious, that are people want to innovate, people want to build, you know, people there want to grow a career and that kind of thing. So that's the kinds of things I look for personally when I'm, I'm interviewing people. And there are some, you know, amazing, amazing, talented South Africans. And, uh, you know, if you look, you'll find unbelievable people. And I've, I've hired and I work with people that are truly inspirational. I like to, personally, I like to employ people that are better than me. So, <laughs> you know, they push me. That's, I enjoy working with the smartest of the smartest. And, and I, often I do, and I work with people that challenge me each and every day, and I love it. That's what it's all about. Paul Smith has a message for you. He says, really appreciate these guys. I sold the 28th life policy for Discovery Life. Uh, his colleague, 328, and the third guy uh, was the second ever claim. Lost his leg at the knees. His discovery was the only insurer that paid out. Well, I did give us a couple of minutes of dead air time. So I'm going to go on a little bit more uh, beyond one o'clock. And here's someone also um, from your past, your longtime former chairman, Monty Hilkovitz. Hi, Alec. Uh, first of all, let me say thank you for giving me the opportunity to say a few words on your webinar today. The first thing I'd like to say is that I really feel privileged to having had the opportunity to uh, serve on the Discovery Board for 16 years, and 11 of those as chairman, ending in February 2019. When I look back on the uh, time at Discovery, uh, I think of what made it so different to what the South African industry was like in the uh, 70s and the 80s. And um, the real big difference is that Discovery is absolutely light years away of the rest of the insurance industry as it was then um, in terms of its product development, uh, its service levels, and its marketing. And um, that, I think, has played a major part in its uh, great success, leading it to become today the, uh, the largest health insurer in South Africa and the, uh, the, the second largest life insurer, a truly remarkable uh, result. Uh, one of the reasons I think the uh, company has been so successful is that it has stuck so rigorously to its uh, core purpose, to um, make people healthier and uh, also to enhance and protect their lives. It really has been a major compass, if you like, for all the decisions that were made over the years. Wasn't that a lovely message from Israel? You got them all today. You got one from Hong Kong, uh, Mark Tucker, uh, Monty from Israel, Neville from London, and of course, Johannesburg uh, is uh, with Larry with Dippenau. But I've got, to, I, I've got to let you just see a little bit of the background here, because I'm not sure if you're going to recognize this too well. But Hugh Basil's just sent me a note. He said, you're sitting in the third building that Discovery ever occupied. The first was 100 Greyston, currently occupied by Investec. The second was 25 Redmond Drive, which Discovery bought from RMB. And the third was 155 West Street, which was specifically designed and built for Discovery, with FNB Pension Fund being the owner. And we are now at uh, exactly that. Uh, that, that uh, uh, I'll just get out the way. Sure. Recognize it uh, well. Probably, yeah. it's, it's changed quite a lot, uh, WeWork. But, 
But uh, yeah, I'm I'm closer to discovery than you guys are today, sitting in your homes. I guess. Uh, a last question to to close off with, and it really has been uh, an, an, a privilege having this opportunity today. And that comes from Hassan Khan, who says, "How has COVID changed Discovery's strategy?" It's a great question. I mean, if anything, COVID. I hope it doesn't sound like you know um, trite, but if anything, it's accentuated the strategy. You know, so the issue of making people healthier, of protecting them, and the issue of resilience and all the stuff we've been trying to achieve, COVID, I think, has accelerated that that uh, that that kind of trend. So everything about behaviour, about technology, about purpose. I mean, COVID has accentuated everything. So to an extent, I mean, we've had to accentuate vitality, bring it into the home, you know, deal with gyms not being open at this stage. But but, but uh, factually, it has accentuated and, I think, accelerated our strategy dramatically. So all of our partners are trying to figure out how they go move faster uh, in this direction. So, Alec, if anything, it, I think it has endorsed the strategy. I think the challenge will be whether we can run fast enough to really capitalize on, on what a, co- a post-COVID world will be. So uh, these are tragic, difficult times um, in every respect. But I think from a discovery perspective, um, I think the opportunities are pretty substantial um, as we move through this COVID period. That'd be my view. I don't know how Barry feels. Yeah, I mean, just, uh, Alec, the, uh, I mean, the, the company's response has been unbelievable. Uh, from Discovery Health with under the uh, Ryan Noach leadership there. They've done just really phenomenal work. Uh, changed the products, got staff working from home, changed the products. We're in our life insurance business in Vitality. It's, uh, I think the company response has been uh, significant, and I, I hope our clients have, have felt that. Um, not only in South Africa and the UK as well, I think the response has been great. I think our clients, I mean, you know, people are exercising at home and re-enabling that. And also to our international partners, you know, we've, we've taken the learnings from South Africa and the UK and we've, you know, helped our international parts, partners as well. So I think it's been substantial work done. You know, it's been, a, I think, a quite a major change to organizations. But I think there's been substantial work done and, and I think positive, you know, that, that, you know, during this tough time, you know, typically these kinds of companies don't do anything, you know, uh, stay close to their clients. The things like Vitality have enabled us to, to stay close to our clients. And, and the future, when you have a look now at uh, a post-COVID South Africa? I think a, I think a post-COVID South Africa, I remain... I, I think that we've understated how well the country's done. I mean, infection rates are coming down. I think the healthcare system has largely coped with it, both public and private. And these are difficult times. And I'm, I don't, I'm not being, again, naively optimistic. I think the healthcare system has done pretty well. I think we've got massive economic challenges. But I remain of the view as tough as things are and as difficult as the debates are. I think we will move through this, Alec. Um, it's going to take a very concerted effort. Uh, between business and government to rebuild and to get back to economic growth. Not easy at all. I hope we'll hear more from the president over the next number of weeks about you know how things will loosen up and whatever. But I, I have to say we remain focused now on our purpose. We're building a bank in a very difficult time, which as I said before, something we would do. And uh, as tough as it is, we will come through this. I'm pretty sure of that. Harry, I spoke this morning with Professor Francis Peterson, who is the vice chancellor of uh, Free State University was formerly deputy vice chancellor at UCT. 
and he's been interviewing a lot of executives and uh, chief executives, and he shared a little bit of that. We'll, it'll be on our Inside COVID program tonight. And he was saying that the big thrust that came through was that businesses understand collaboration is the next big story, that it's not the old story uh, that, that we might have gone into COVID with. But to get out of this, we need to collaborate not just uh, business with businesses with other businesses, but very much business with government and to almost have this concerted effort that perhaps COVID will end up being a good thing uh, in the long run for, for the strategy of the country. Is there any sense in that? Definitely. I think that, uh, you know, in t- today people it's specialise and it's very difficult to be all things to all people as an organisation. You know, you've got to focus on what you're good at and what you can do as an organisation. And I think that applies to governments, applies to all organisations. You've got to specialise in what makes you good as an organisation and then collaborate with others that can offer services and, and products that can, you know, um, can augment what you're currently doing. I mean, we do that all the time. And we, I mean, we're a partner to other large uh, 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 insurance companies. So it's our business model. We embrace it. We we like to collaborate with others. We, I think we make good partners uh, internationally and in South Africa. And I think that's exactly what, what it's going to be about, about people becoming more and more specialized in what they're doing and, and collaborating more and, and working together. You know, and I, I, I couldn't agree more with that, Professor, and I think the government here in South Africa, if it embraces private sector together with government, we could do such fantastic things together. But Adrian, last question for you before we go. What makes a good partner? Um, I think trust and collaboration, frankly. I think those points you've raised. I mean, obviously, you need commonality of, of vision and purpose and aggression about market and whatever. But I think a good partner is about shared values, about trust and collaboration. And I think, Eric, to your earlier point, I think, you know, a lot of the debate about the new world is do you work at the office or do you work at home? It's not about those physical things. I think that the, the companies that will thrive are the ones where the intangible issues of values, of purpose, you know, are, are completely alive. And I think, various point, collaborating with partners that you trust, um, that you can build with, that you can rely on, um, is fundamental. And uh, I think we've done a good job of that. I think it's good for us for the future. So these are tough times, but I think uh, very profound times. Adrian Gore, Barry Swartzberg, it's been such a pleasure. Stuart, before we, we uh, log off, you want to tell us how we can get a recording of uh, this uh, webinar? Yes, excellent. Thanks, Alec, and thanks to Adrian and Barry. I think, as they say, the media world, this is evergreen content that I'm sure people will access for, for time to come. I've just, it will be pushed, published on YouTube later. I've put that link on the chat bar on the right-hand side panel there. It is the YouTube channel, the business YouTube channel, Alec, and we'll get that up after we do a little bit of editing with the, the dead air earlier, but as soon as possible. <laughs> yeah, it, it's funny, this working from home and then coming into the office, 155 West Street, we work, ex-Discovery's head office. Uh, you, you have two computers, and uh, for some reason, works great at home. Not so great here, but at least we overcame that. Thanks, Adrian. Thanks, Barry. Uh, look forward to Thank the next you. time. And, uh, and from, uh, from all of us here at Biz News, thanks for being with us on this uh, Noontime Thursday webinar. Uh, I'll be back again on Monday uh, with the um, normal investment webinar with David Shapiro. But uh, tomorrow we have Finance Friday. Until then, cheerio. Thanks, Eric. Thank you.